Welcome to the teaching ministry of Calvary Chapel South London. You can visit us at calvarychapelsouthlondon.org. Luke chapter 15 and um, if you wasn't here last week maybe I'm, you're, in, you're in a good place because I'm going to give you a quick recap. Last week we considered how in Luke chapter 15 the Pharisees and the scribes they were watching and they were listening and they were complaining about how Jesus received tax collectors and sinners unto himself and they were moaning and complaining about how he went as far as eating with them. And we considered last week how this infuriated the Pharisees and the scribes because within Eastern culture, this intimate act of eating and sharing food with someone literally meant that you affirmed them. It literally meant that you was in agreement with them. So the Pharisees and the scribes they were objecting and they were stating that, Jesus, you can't do this. You should not be doing this. And they were actually saying that because he was eating with them, because he was receiving them unto himself, Jesus was just as bad as them. And so what Jesus did is he responds to them with a parable. And... We saw last week how Luke chapter 15 is not three parables, as many of us read, but it is actually one parable which has three movements within it. And these three movements give us the complete picture of what Jesus is trying to convey to his audience. If we just take one part of the move of, of the complete parable, then we have truth, but we don't get the complete picture of what Jesus is trying to communicate. And so we need to take all three parts. And so within these parts, we see that we have, firstly, with the shepherd and the sheep, we have the work of the son. Then, which we're going to, the, the next phase we have, which we're looking at today, we're going to have the woman and the coin. And this speaks of the activity of the spirit. And then we see the third movement, which we're going to look at next week. And that is what we all know as the parable of the prodigal son, which really it should be called the gracious or the joyous father. That will be a correct rendering of it because the emphasis is really on the father, not the son. And so, but we look at that next week. So, as I said, from the first movement, we see the, you know, the son, the good shepherd, and there was one, there was a hundred sheep, 99 were saved, one was lost, and it went astray, and we considered how that lost sheep went astray, and it was due to foolishness. And as we looked at this, we considered a few things that, you know, when we're sharing the gospel with our friends and our families, those people we come into, uh, where we, 
we just come into the presence of. Often people give us foolish reasons why they don't want to receive the Lord. Why they don't want to come into a relationship with the Lord. When you really whittle it down, you bottle it down. What's your reason? It's some foolish reason. But once the sheep was found, we saw how the good shepherd laid the sheep on his shoulders and he brought it back to the fold. And it's a beautiful picture of Jesus coming to seek and to save that which was lost. Laying the burdens of humanity on his shoulders. And by doing this, he restored mankind back to right relationship with the Father. We looked at, at the end of that first movement, we had rejoicing. The sheep was happy to be back in the fold. The shepherd rejoiced that the sheep had been found. And others were able to share, were able to join into the celebration. And with this first pattern, Jesus sets up, you know, a repeated phrase, which he will go on to repeat within the, within the three parables, within the three movements of the one parable. And this is the something was lost, something was sought after, something was found, and then we had the end result of rejoicing. Okay? So, it's a bit of background of last week. Moving on today, the next stage we have of the parable is found from verse 8. So, Luke chapter 15, verse 8. We're just going to read a few verses today. And it says, Or what woman, having ten silver coins, if she loses one coin, does not light a lamp, sweep the house, and search carefully until she finds it? And when she has found it, she calls her friends and neighbors together, saying, Rejoice with me, for I have found the peace which I lost. Likewise, I say to you, there is joy in the presence of angels of God over one sinner who repents. So, verse 8 opens with, or what woman? And like verse 4, which we looked at last week, this made the parable very personal to all the females in the crowd. And here the Lord uses the typology of a woman to describe the active motherly role of the Holy Spirit. So he spoke of a woman in possession of 10 silver coins. But then what happens? She loses one of these coins. And she's distraught. Now, to give you a bit of background inf information into the culture, during this time, when a Hebrew woman got married, it was a Hebrew custom for women to place 10 silver coins together on a piece of string, and then they would wear them as a headband around their forehead. And I don't know if you, you know, if you watch the news or something, sometimes you see Eastern women wearing coins just above their, their forehead even today. Um, but this was a symbol that, and this is how they were communicating to others, that they were, in fact, a married woman. And so Hebrew women wore these coins with pride. Now, the picture which the Lord is trying to paint here is that we have this newly married woman, 
She's supposed to have ten coins on this headband, but she loses one. And she loses one and she's extremely distressed. She's distressed because she's lost something which is precious. She's lost something which symbolizes to others she's a married woman. And so because she's distressed, she does something about it. She doesn't just say, oh my goodness, I've lost something. Oh, fair enough. Let's just move on. No, she decides to act. She decides to do something about it. And she's distressed because if somebody, if she was wearing that headband and somebody looked and said, sis, how come you've only got nine coins on your headband? It'd be embarrassing. It'd be embarrassing because it would show that she has been careless in losing one. It'd be embarrassing, it'd be distressing because if she decided not to wear the headband at all, people then go to her and say to her, Sis, why are you not wearing your headband? And so she would have to give an answer, which would be shameful. It would be embarrassing. And so this is why she looks frantically for this one coin. She wants to restore that coin to its proper place. And so in this movement of the parable, the Lord describes the woman as actively doing something about her loss. So she begins to search for the lost coin. And if you were a Hebrew woman within the crowd during this time when the Lord was sharing this, you'd know exactly what he was talking about. But because we're in the West now, year 2000, we're so far removed from the culture, it's like we're just reading this thing, oh, she just lost a coin. We don't know the significance of it all. But the Hebrew women of that time would have known exactly what the Lord was talking about. And so Jesus describes how, firstly, the woman lights a lamp. And I'm sure you would agree that that's always a good start if you've lost something. Light a lamp. Switch the lights on. They couldn't do that back in the day. They had to light a lamp. And because obviously they didn't have electricity, you know, houses in Palestine during this time were very, very dark. Again, if you've ever been to Israel, if you've ever seen pictures, you know, they don't have big, massive windows. They have small windows. They're they're running from the sun. We want to see the sun because we never get the sun over here. But they're trying to hide from the sun. So they had small windows and the houses were very, very dark. And so Jesus says that she lights a lamp. And Jesus here was describing the work of the Holy Spirit and how it is the Holy Spirit who brings light into a dark situation. It is the Holy Spirit who brings light into a dark and lost world. And it is the Holy Spirit who brings illumination of God's word and as he was saying this I can't help but think whether the Pharisees were prompted to think of perhaps Psalm 119 and 105 your word is a light 
unto my path and a lamp unto my feet. Could they perhaps have been thinking about that? Pharisees and scribes, schooled in the scriptures, would that have prompted them to think this? I don't know. Were they perhaps prompted to think of Proverbs chapter 6 and verse 23, which says, For the commandment is a lamp, and the law a light. Reproofs of instruction are the way of life. An interesting verse of scripture, because this is what Jesus was doing. He was bringing to the Pharisees and scribes reproof. But he was also bringing insight and instruction as to the true nature of God and the true way to life. The next thing that the Lord describes is that the woman sweeps the house. And I don't know if you guys are modern men, whether you do any sweeping at home, but sweeping straight away should make you think of cleaning. How you want to get rid of dust, you want to get rid of dirt, and you want to put things back in order. That's what sweeping should make us think about. And this is the activity of the Holy Spirit. First, he brings illumination, and then he starts trying to put things back in order, sweeping, getting rid of dirt. And how many of us know that before we come to the Lord, we are extremely dirty? We may think that our lives have order, but our, our lives do not have any order. And we need the Spirit of God to put us right on track and to bring order into our lives. And it's interesting that the, word, the, the Lord uses the word sweep here. Because the word sweep is only used two, on two other occasions within the scriptures. And when it's used on those two other occasions, it's used in judgment. The first occasion is in Isaiah chapter 14, verse 23, which says, I will also make it a possession for the porcupine and marshes of muddy water. I will sweep it with the broom of destruction says the Lord of hosts. Judgment. Also in chapter 28 and verse 17, which says, also I will make justice the measuring line and righteousness the plummet. The hell will sweep away the refuge of lies and the waters will overflow the hiding place. So again, could Jesus be prompting the Pharisees and the scribes to search into the scriptures and see that, that, that God wants to sweep away all lies and hypocrisy and that God desires that justice should be the measuring line and righteousness the plummet? It is the Holy Spirit who here illuminates God's word and actively cleans. And then Jesus says that 
the woman searches carefully. The Holy Spirit searches. Searches carefully. Think about those words. It's an interesting thing where in the New Testament, the Apostle Paul says in 1 Corinthians chapter 2, speaking of the things which God has prepared for those who love him, it says, but as it is written, I has not seen, nor ear heard, nor have entered into the heart of man the things which God has prepared for those who love him. But God has revealed them to us through his spirit. For the Spirit searches all things. Yes, the deep things of God. For what man knows the things of a man except the Spirit of a man which is in him? Even so, no one knows the things of God except the Spirit of God. And so Jesus is communicating here through this movement of the parable that it is the Spirit which searches. And we may think that, you know, we have deep secrets which no one else knows of. But guess what? God knows about them. We may have things in our life which we try to run from and try to hide from. But they cannot be hidden from God. Because the Spirit knows all things. The Spirit searches all things. Hebrews chapter 4 and verse 12 says, For the word of God is living and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing even to the division of soul and spirit. How do you divide between soul and spirit? And of joints and marrow. How do you divide between joints and marrow? And is a discerner of the thoughts and intents of the heart. And verse 13 is scary because it says, And there is no creature hidden from his sight, but all things are naked and open to the eyes of him to whom we must give an account. So there's nothing in your life which is hidden from God. It may be hidden from the person next to you, to your left or to your right. But from God, open. You're naked. And the fact is, if you have things which are hidden and are not right before God, best thing to do is get straight with the Lord. The best thing to do is confess your sins. As some people say, one John, one nine it. Because the Holy Spirit's job is to sweep, is to clean, is to highlight those things in our lives which should not be there. To get us to confront those situations and say, okay, let's deal with that. And as you deal with that, he moves us on. He moves us on, and as he brings us through that process, we are being sanctified. It's the process of sanctification. And the Holy Spirit, if you are a child of God, he never lets up on you. 
The fact is you may feel like you've come through one trial or one form of exposure and he brings another form of exposure. Not to crush you, not to condemn you, not to crush me or condemn me, but to bring us into a closer and deeper relationship with God. Because the goal is to be conformed, to be transformed into his image and his likeness. He must increase, we must decrease. It may not sound nice, but it produces life. And the wonderful thing about the Holy Spirit is that the Holy Spirit is a gentleman. He doesn't force anybody to do anything. Jesus started this parable by saying, He who has an ear, let him hear. Or, she who has an ear, let her hear. It goes out to everybody. But don't just hear, do something about it. Act upon it. So the work of the Holy Spirit... Searching, sweeping, illuminating. And Jesus said of the Holy Spirit, he says in John chapter 16, he says, And when he has come, he will convict the world of sin and of righteousness and judgment. And as I said before, the Holy Spirit's job is not to condemn you, to make you go hide in a corner, so it's like, oh, woe is me, I can't do anything about my situation, and I don't know how to face life. No. Conviction, completely different. It's getting you to look at what's going on in your life and God gives you the ability, the strength to do something about it through his power, through his strength, by his spirit. He convicts the world of sin because they do not believe in me, Jesus said. Of righteousness, because I go to my Father and you see me no more. Of judgment, because the ruler of this world is judged. The ministry of the Holy Spirit. The amazing ministry of the Holy Spirit. Because without the Holy Spirit prompting us, wooing us and drawing us to Jesus, none of us will be here today. And so... Jesus is communicating, he's conveying this picture, using the typology of a woman, but trying to paint this picture of the work and the activity of the Holy Spirit, who lights the lamp, who sweeps the house, and searches carefully until he finds the coin. And this is what the Holy Spirit does. And this is my conviction that the Holy Spirit desires that all people will come into relationship with God. And so he woos people, he draws people, and he gives people every opportunity to see Jesus for who he really is. To come in relationship with Jesus. Because Jesus 
is the true light of the world. Jesus is the only saviour for humanity. Jesus is the only one who can give lost humanity hope. But before the Holy Spirit can really do that deep work within people's lives, the process must begin with repentance. In 2 Corinthians chapter 7 and verse 10, it says, For godly sorrow produces repentance leading to salvation, not to be regretted, but the sorrow of the world produces death. The Holy Spirit desires to produce repentance within individuals' lives. And, you know, as I look through the scriptures, it always fascinates me how Peter denied the Lord three times. But Peter found repentance. And it was godly repentance. It was sorrow. It was godly sorrow. And it led to repentance, which produced salvation. And then you look at Judas. He betrayed the Lord, and he was sorry. He was, he was sorry that, you know, he had betrayed innocent blood. But what, what did that lead to? It was a godly, it was a worldly sorrow, which produced death. And so... You know, I look at that and I think, well, you know, when people come into relationship with the Lord, he's looking for that genuine fruit of repentance. Not, oh, I got caught out and so I'm sorry. The fruit of repentance. You know, many of us have situations where we're sorry because we got caught. And if we didn't get caught, we wouldn't be sorry. But this is not the repentance which the Holy Spirit desires in the hearts of individuals. Godly sorrow producing repentance leading to salvation. Now, the work of the Holy Spirit, the ministry of the Holy Spirit. And as Jesus is communicating this, you know, he's speaking about coins. And just two thoughts about coins. The first interesting thing about a coin is that coins have worth. And some currencies have more worth than, than others. But coins have worth. But in this movement of the parable, the coin is lost. And because it is lost, it has no worth. It has become worthless. It would be like you or I having a check for a million pounds. And then we lose the check. And if we did lose the check... Guess what we wouldn't have? We wouldn't have a million pounds. 
So the lost check or the lost coin would have no value until it was found and it was placed back into circulation. That's the first interesting thing, what you just to meditate on for a while. The second interesting thing about coins are that coins generally have an image of a ruler imprinted upon them. And if you can remember, Jesus said, give unto Caesar, which is due unto Caesar, and give unto God, which is due unto... Lost sinners bear the image of... We were made in the image and the likeness of... Even though the image has been marred by sin... We were created in the image and the likeness of God. So when a lost sinner who is marred by sin is found, God begins to restore that divine image back into that person by the power of the Holy Spirit. And God begins to take that person, that believer, through a process where they will be just like Jesus. And scripture communicates that to us. In 1 John chapter 3, verses 1 to 2, it says, Behold, what manner of love the Father has bestowed upon us, that we shall be called children of God. Therefore the world does not know us, because it did not know him. Beloved, now... We are children of God, and it has not yet been revealed what we shall be, but we know that when he is revealed, we shall be like him, for we shall see him as he is. We have that promise that we will be in the image of Jesus. Romans chapter 8, verse 29, For whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his Son, that he might be the firstborn among many brethren. 2 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 18, But we all, with unveiled face, beholding as in a mirror the glory of the Lord, are being transformed into the same image, from glory to glory, just as by the Spirit of the Lord. Just as by the Spirit of the Lord. Without the Spirit working in our lives, we cannot be transformed into Christ's image. We need the Spirit of the Lord. And so... With those two interesting things about coins, we see how lost sinners need to be put back into circulation and this can only happen through the power of the Holy Spirit. Zechariah chapter 4, you know, has this interesting thing to say about the Spirit. And it says, this is the word of the Lord to Zerubbabel, and you all know it, it's not by might, nor by power, but by my spirit, says the Lord. By my spirit. And, and so 
Jesus is communicating the ministry of the Holy Spirit. And when we think of the Holy Spirit, we shouldn't be thinking something so mystical and out there. We should be thinking that he's a real person who is there to help us in a time of need. To encourage us and direct us in the way of righteousness. And so, verse 9 goes on to say, And when she has found it, she calls her friends and neighbors together, saying, Rejoice with me, for I have found the peace which I lost. Again, here we have this end result of rejoicing and sharing with others in the celebration. Because that which was lost has now been found. And so, as Jesus is sharing this, the Pharisees and the scribes were obviously listening intently and and thinking, Jesus, you are out of your mind. You are out of your mind to teach to these tax collectors and sinners that the Spirit of Almighty God will actually search and seek after these. You're crazy. And even if the Spirit of God was to seek after them, you know, seek after people, he wouldn't be concerned with the lowest of the low. This was what they were teaching the people. This is what they were communicating to the people. All the Pharisees and the scribes could see was religion. Religion in terms of ceremony. Religion in terms of cleansing, of making sacrifices. You know, you've sinned, right. Have you got the right sacrifice? No, okay, go away, next person. You've sinned, yeah. Have you got the right sacrifice? No, okay, go away. It, it was just religion. They just, the letter of the law and not the spirit of, of the word. All they were concerned about was external appearances. And so many people, you know, they think that if it hasn't got the ceremony, it's not religious. If, if we're getting our children um, christened, you know, we want, the, we want the priest, we want the guy with the robes. And, you know, we want to go into the proper church where they've got the incense and everything. And, and the guy sort of like does the cross, hallelujah, father. And if it isn't that, it's not religious. People look at these external things. And think that they are closer to God because of garments. Forgetting that God doesn't look at the outward appearance. He looks at the inward person of the heart. The religious people of, of the day here even had a saying. And Jesus flipped the saying on them. Because their saying was, there will be more joy in heaven over one sinner who is obliterated before God. That's how the Pharisees and the scribes thought. And so this is why Jesus continued to echo 
the phrase he used in his first movement of this parable, which was, likewise, O you Pharisees and scribes, I say to you, there is joy in the presence of angels of God over one sinner who repents. Jesus was saying that heaven rejoices over one sinner who gives their life unto the Lord. And it rejoices because this is exactly what the Father desires. And so what Jesus was actually doing was he was challenging the religious leaders of of his day to change the way they were thinking. Change their way to the thinking because their thoughts were not the thoughts of God. You see, just as the woman was careless in losing that one silver coin, these Pharisees and scribes, the religious leaders of the day, they were careless in the way they handled the word of God. And, you know, as we look at this, we should also see that As the children of God today, we cannot be careless in how we handle God's word. We should be mindful that as we look at the scriptures, you know, line upon line, precept upon precept, here a little, there a little. You know, we should be communicating scripture with scripture. We should be studying to show ourselves approved unto God. Workmen who need not be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. We cannot be careless with God's word. These religious leaders of the day, you know, they had forgotten the scriptures and they had forgotten that God actually rejoices over his people when they are in right standing with him. Now, Obviously, at the time of Jesus sharing this, they didn't have a New Testament. They didn't have Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. But they had the Old Testament. And Zephaniah chapter 3, verse 17 says that the Lord your God in your midst, the mighty one, will save. He will rejoice over you with gladness. He will quiet you with his love. He will rejoice over you with singing. That's the God they should have been communicating to the people. Psalm 16 verse 11 says, You will show me the path of life. In your presence is the fullness of joy. At your right hand are pleasures forevermore. That was not the God they were trying to communicate to the people. The Pharisees and the scribes, they were guilty. Guilty because they had the responsibility and the duty of teaching the people the truth of the scriptures. But they portrayed God as being this mean old ogre who was just so far removed from from humanity and mankind that he wanted nothing to do with mankind. Only the religious elite. Because they were keeping ceremony. So, within this movement of the parable, Jesus was actually posing them this question, which was, 
well, you Pharisees, I've just shared with you about a woman losing a coin. And you would justify the diligence and actions of a woman who would use all possible means to recover the loss of a piece of silver with Caesar's image on it. So why would you object to me and why would you condemn me for seeking and trying to recover and save lost humanity? That's the question he was posing. Why would you do that? Because lost humanity is made in the image and the likeness of God. And, you know, Jesus kind of like leaves that thought hanging. And as he left it hanging, he moved on to the last movement of the parable. And within this movement of the parable... What he actually does is he describes the most outrageous individual they could ever think of in their day. Now, when we, when we look at it, and we'll look at it next week, when we look at it, we're going to think, well, you know, he's a bad cat, but he's not as bad as some of the guys today who go around killing each other. But in their day, Jesus creates, he makes up, this outrageous individual. And as he was sharing this third movement of this, of, of this parable, the Pharisees, the scribes would have been thinking, no, that's shameful. No, it's outrageous. How could you? This person would never, ever act in this way. No. They would have been infuriated inside. But it was like Jesus was just pressing the buttons to get, to, to get them to actually think about the true nature and character of God. Because this whole parable speaks of the grace of God, the joy of God to receive lost sinners back unto himself. And so we have the lost sheep and the lost coin both lacking value and worth until they were found and placed back into circulation. And, you know, in closing, maybe you're here today and you've lost your way due to carelessness. Just as this woman lost this coin due to carelessness, you've been careless in your walk. You've allowed things to creep in which you know should not be part of your life. And you need to be restored. Well, the Lord is drawing you today. The Spirit of God is drawing you. It's not by coincidence that you've arrived here today. And the Lord Jesus through his Holy Spirit, is saying, you know, come unto me, all you who labor and who are heavy laden because he desires to give you rest. He desires to restore you back into the fold and how you should be.
He desires for you to take his yoke upon him and learn of him. For he indeed is gentle and lowly in heart. And that's what he desires for you to find rest for your souls. Maybe you feel tormented and you have no rest. Well, take his yoke upon upon you for it is easy and it is light. That's the confidence we have within the scriptures. Or maybe you're here today and you've never, ever entered into relationship with the Lord. Maybe you're like that sheep, gone astray. Just as Isaiah says, all we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned each way to our own ways. But the hope in that verse is that, and the Lord laid on him the iniquity of us all. Jesus has paid the price. If you've never come into relationship with God, then Jesus, there's good news today. The Lord Jesus has paid the price for you to come into right relationship with him so that you can have life and life more abundantly. The Holy Spirit desires that you would have fruit the fruit of repentance that leads unto salvation. And again, this can only be done by allowing the Holy Spirit to work on your heart and mind. Amen? So if you need prayer today, then please make yourself available. I mean, I will make myself available. Come to the front. If you don't feel like coming to the front, then, then um, see me, see Richard, Matuno, Peter. You know, see one of us afterwards. And we will gladly pray with you, happily pray with you. Amen? Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we thank you for your word. And we thank you, Lord, that your spirit dwells within us. And that your spirit desires us to be conformed into your image and your likeness. Lord, if we've gone astray, help us to return, Lord. If we've been careless in our walk, Lord Jesus, um, forgive us our foolishness, Lord. Forgive us of our carelessness, Lord, and help us to be restored back into circulation, Lord. We want to give ourselves over to you, Lord Jesus, because... It's only in you that we can have life, Lord. And it's only by your spirit, Lord, the power of your spirit, Lord, that we can do anything for you. We thank you, Lord, that your word does say it's not by power, it's not by might, it's by your spirit. And so we rely upon your spirit, Lord, to do that deep work of searching us, searching us carefully, discerning our thoughts, Lord, so that our thoughts will be pure before you, Lord. Challenging our actions, Lord Jesus, so that our actions, Lord, will be pleasing in your sight. That, Lord, we will not bring shame to your name, but we would have opportunity, Lord, and occasion, Lord, to be your lights and to bring glory to your name, Lord. So, 
Lord, I pray that your Holy Spirit will just touch all of us in a very special and unique way today. And that you would bring conviction, Lord Jesus. That you would do that work what we cannot do for ourselves. Bless your holy name, Lord, because you are good. Your mercy does indeed endure forever, Lord. And we thank you, Lord, that as one sinner comes into right relationship with you, heaven rejoices. And so, Lord, heaven rejoices and we rejoice. We agree with heaven, Lord. So we thank you again for this time in Jesus' name.